Today's scripture reading is Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to chapter 2, verse 12. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We who follow Jesus are working in wounds, working with wounds, and working through wounds. Those were the words of theologian Willie James Jennings. They speak to the truth that we are daily surrounded by wounds in this broken world, the woundedness of this world. And we are daily reminded of our own need for healing. We are desperate for someone or something to heal us and to make us whole. We're continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark, and right away in the first two chapters, we encounter a powerful theme. And that is, to follow Jesus, we must first be healed by him. Beginning in verse 21 of chapter 1, we encounter a series of stories about Jesus' healing ministry. In a synagogue in Capernaum, located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus, in verse 23, was confronted by a man with an unclean spirit. That means he was controlled by a demon. And with just a verbal command, 
be silent and come out of him, Jesus drove the spirit, the demonic spirit, out of the man. Then in verse 29, Jesus went to the home of two of his disciples, Simon and Andrew, where Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, probably from malaria, which was very common in that day. Jesus took her by the hand, this time with no words, just the touch of his hand. He healed her of her fever. Then in verse 40, as we heard in the scripture reading earlier, Jesus is approached by a man with leprosy, a terrible skin disease. Moved with pity, we're told in verse 21, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left from him. And a few days later, while Jesus was preaching in an overcrowded house, four men carried a man who couldn't move or walk to Jesus. Jesus told the man, son, your sins are forgiven. And then after some controversy about those words, we'll come back to them. Jesus added in verse 11, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose, picked up his bed, and walked home. And we're told the people were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. These are amazing stories. Some of you might say too amazing. You might feel they're literally unbelievable. Others of you might be thinking, okay, that's great for the people back then who got help, the leper, the paralytic, but what good is that to me? Well, right now, for all of us, the most important question for us is to ask, what can we learn from these healings? How should we interpret and read them into our own lives? What can we learn from these healings? Three things, I think. We're, we're taught who we are. We're also taught who Jesus is, and we're taught what he came to do. Who we are, who Jesus is, and what Jesus came to do, let's take a look together. First, these healings teach us who we are. And who we are, we see, are bodies and souls. Dear friends, these healing stories teach us that we are bodies. Jesus healed the physical bodies of People, this is actually profound and we shouldn't take it for granted. Uh, Jesus doesn't ignore human physical suffering, doesn't invite people to transcend it, to deny it, or simply just to overcome it. Jesus actually viewed our bodies as worth rehabbing, worth remending. In my family these days, we're facing a little bit of a, a mini local epidemic, and that is we're finding in our drawers and on our feet, from mine to my wife's to all of our children, socks with holes in them. Really weird the way in which this has just erupted across all of our socks all at the same time. I don't know if it's ever happened to you. It's like there's almost no sock in any of our drawers without a hole in them or without an almost hole a bad sign of wear and tear. And so, of course, the question constantly on a near daily basis is, do we toss them out, get new ones, or do we try to mend them? Do we try to 
fix them, sew them together, or, or even just hang in there. Uh, this is sort of a, a sock uh, sort of trauma, a, a sock problem that we might have. Uh, God is a God who ha- is making decisions about what to do with the, the tears and the holes and the worn out features of our bodies. Uh, should he just get rid of them, throw them out, or should he mend them? Guess what? The God of the Bible is a God who says, I have made these bodies and I'm not just going to throw them away. I, I, I'm going to heal them. I'm going to rehab them. I, I'm going to make them new. Why? Because they are an essential part of our humanity. Herman Bovink, great theologian from centuries past, called our bodies integrally and essentially a part of our humanity. Integrally and essentially a part of our humanity. God loves our physical bodies. The question is, do we? See, we live in a culture that has an essentially negative view of the human body. And I mean that not only in terms of body image issues, the way we struggle to embrace different sizes, different shapes, and different flaws in our physical bodies. I'm also referring to the way that our bodies are treated these days as being separate from, even irrelevant from, our authentic selves. Uh, They're not really who I am. They're not really me, the structures of my body, the physical body itself. My body is a prison to be escaped and overcome, not a glory to be honored and cared for and stewarded. But see, these healing narratives remind us that in in the Bible's vision of our humanity, our bodies are who we are. They're not all that we are. We'll see that in a second. But they are, in fact, an essential part of who we are in all of our brokenness and our beauty. God himself does not by nature have a physical body, but our bodies do, in fact, reflect his image. The incarnation of Jesus and his resurrection, of course, are the ultimate affirmations of the dignity of the human body that God would see fit to enter into human flesh, the Son of God made man, and that his goal of salvation is not to escape our bodies or to toss them out, but rather to repair them and to redeem them. A wonderful author, Laura Ferguson Wilbert, has written in a book called Handle with Care these helpful words. If our bodies matter to God, they should matter to us. And they should matter to us as they are and not only how they will someday be. Does your body matter to you? Are you learning to see them as part of your personhood? That matters to God. We are bodies, but of course we are also souls. Some of us struggle with this first part, others struggle with this second part, especially those of you that might have an essentially or exclusively materialist view of the universe, that all we are and all we have in this world is what we can see and touch. But no, no, the Bible says we are also souls, body and souls. Jesus offers not only physical healing, but another kind of healing that we might call spiritual healing. We see this in the story initially about the healing of the man with the unclean spirit, the demons. 
Of course, the biblical authors knew the difference. They could talk about physical healing and demonic healing in different stories. They were not confusing the two just because they were ancient people. They had categories for both. But we see that the healing of our souls, our spirits in the Bible, these stories also tell us who we are. People with an inner life, an inner world that also must be healed by God. We're souls and not just bodies. All of it in God's eyes is worth healing. But there's a, an additional conclusion that we must draw out of these narratives, and it is not only that we are bodies and souls as human beings, but we are also a third thing, and that is powerless. Bodies and souls that are powerless to heal ourselves by ourselves. See, our bodies and our souls are, are weak and wounded, marred by the, the fall broken by evil, by disease and decay. And we are not able to fix ourselves or to save ourselves. And that is the message again and again and again in these healing narratives. We're supposed to draw from this, this, this understanding that Jesus is coming across helpless people. Sometimes in this condition of illness, helplessness, or bondage for years and years and years. We're to see in those individuals a picture, a glimpse of ourselves. You see, this is radically different from the prevailing narratives of our day. And that is that, look, if you want healing, if you want freedom, if you want salvation, as it were, all you need to do is look inside and discover what is already in you. If you are broken and wounded, you already have all that you need for healing within you. Heal thyself. The Bible says something differently. We're powerless to heal ourselves. We need the great physician, even Jesus, to come and heal us. All that you need is already in you. Well, that's true if Christ is in you. But if he's in you, it's because he entered in you. And by his spirit, he gives you a power that you do not have yourself. You see, in every story in Mark, healing always happens outside in, not inside out. Jesus is the healer. Do you know him, dear friends, as the healer of your bodies and of your souls? This is what we learn about ourselves, who we are. Bodies, souls, helpless to heal ourselves, desperate for the one healer, Jesus. But secondly, we also learn this, not just about who we are, but who Jesus is. Well, who did Jesus' works of healing time and again reveal Jesus to be? The answer of these passages is simply this. God. Who is Jesus, the healer? Not just a magician with spiritual powers that could do a few tricks, but rather he is God himself coming near to us in our frailty, our sickness, and our sin. Coming to us as a divine healer, God himself. 
We see this in the relation between healing and authority in this passage. Pastor Glenn talked about it last week, talking about the authority of Jesus. We see that word again here in chapter 2, verse 10, where Jesus himself makes a direct link between his ability to heal and his divine authority. You see, when Jesus healed, he wasn't just doing humanitarian assistance. He was demonstrating that he himself had the supreme authority of God. That he had supreme authority over the forces of disease and decay. That he had supreme authority over every spiritual force, what the Bible later calls the powers and the principalities. Jesus in his healing was demonstrating that he had supreme authority over the laws of nature, even the divine ability to suspend them when needed. And of course, he showed in forgiving sins that he had supreme authority over sin and guilt itself. In other words, his healing showed him to be God. Jesus, in every act of compassionate healing, was claiming was declaring himself to be king. King. After all, healing is a spiritual act of combat. It's it's a matter of a hostile force being subdued by the hand of the king. See, the king is coming in and defeating the enemies of sin and death and decay and disease and disintegration. All these powers that have tried to assert themselves as kings in this world. Jesus is unmasking them as imposters and conquering them as enemies. This is what his healing is truly about. But we see Jesus' claim to divine authority in one other place, powerfully so, and it's when he offers the paralytic man the forgiveness of his sins. You remember that in that story, Jesus comes in, and the first thing that he does when his four friends bring the paralytic man to Jesus The crowds are so great, filling up this home. There's no way through the front door, the side door, or the back door. His friends need to tear open a hole in the thatched roof and lower him right before Jesus. Jesus, filled with compassion, says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, how odd for Jesus to dare to offer the forgiveness of this man's sins. This man who Jesus had never met, apparently, before this very moment. Never had any opportunity to be offended or wounded by this man, sinned against by this man, and yet here Jesus steps in, meets him, and immediately says, your sins are forgiven. I forgive you. Well, what's that all about? I mean, imagine if you had a dispute with your next door neighbor, some kind of disagreement, some kind of ways in which you felt deeply wronged by that individual. And then what if I stepped in into the middle of that conversation, walking down the sidewalk as I was passing by your home, and I stepped in, almost literally interrupted you, looked at your neighbor and said to him or her, you know what? I forgive you. Don't worry about it. I forgive you. You would turn to me, 
and say, what right do you have to forgive him when I was the one who was wronged? Well, of course, if it were I that were stepping in in the way that I just described, I would have no right at all. But when Jesus did this, what was he in fact claiming? But claiming to be God, the God himself who is offended and wronged in every wrong and every sin. Jesus was actually saying, in fact, in every instance that this man committed a sin in his life, Jesus, in fact, was there, was, in fact, the ultimate one who was wronged and sinned against God himself. Wronged in every man, every one of this man's wrongs, sinned against in every one of his and our sins. He was claiming to be God. And of course, the religious leaders who were there in that room or nearby heard exactly what Jesus was implying, what he was claiming. They cry out, blasphemy. Who has the ability, the right, the authority to forgive sins like this? Blasphemy, of course, means to insult God, one of the worst forms of which is to claim to be God ourselves. They heard what Jesus was saying, what he was claiming. The only question that remains is, do we? Do we hear that Jesus, in fact, was claiming to be God? More importantly, do we not only hear it, Do we see it, see him for the God of authority and majesty that he really is? I mean, friends, have you been doubting the divine authority of Jesus in in some area of your life? Have you been seeing him as perhaps defeated by enemies, powerless to save, to help? Uh, In what corner of life do you feel like Jesus has been too weak to really come through. Maybe it's not a a conscious thought. Maybe you know better than to think that way. But the honest meditation of your heart is simply that, a doubt or, or, or maybe a sense of defeat. Do you see Jesus for who he is as a healer, the one who has authority over every enemy of God? Disease, death, sin, disintegration. Oh, friends, do you see Jesus as king? And not simply as a king who has loads of power and authority that wields that power for his own gain, for his own self, but do you see him as the king who comes in meekness, who uses that power, in fact, to serve? to give, to bless, to love a king who devotes his power for the good of his subjects. This is the story of the salvation according to the Christian faith, the salvation of Jesus. Uh, The one who himself was God, but did not consider his equality with God something to be exploited, uh, something to win glory and privilege for himself, but rather he gave it all up in order to serve and save, taking the form of a servant, dying on the cross in our place, loving us to the end, 
taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins in order that we might be reconciled to God for all of eternity. This is the offer of the Christian gospel. This is the kind of king that Mark tells us in these stories of healing that Jesus truly is. A king who lifts up rather than tears down. A king who serves rather than exploits. A king of compassion. Do you see in these passages the compassion of Jesus? Again, verse 41 in chapter 1, he's moved with pity. His his heart, his gut is stirred up with our brokenness. He, He feels our hurts as his own. He identifies with our sufferings. In fact, he does so so much that he enters into them by taking on our humanity and dying in our place in order to be our great healer. Do you know this king, this Jesus, this God? After all, in these healing narratives, this is who Jesus reveals himself to be. Thirdly and lastly, what do we learn from these healings? First, who we are. Secondly, who Jesus is. But thirdly, what he came to do. You see, why did Jesus heal? What does that tell us about what he came to do? Well, let me tell you what he didn't come to do, why he didn't heal people. It wasn't to impress a crowd. And this point is made again and again and again in this passage and across the Gospel of Mark. Every time Jesus healed, word got out. He grew in fame and renown. We're told that in verse 28 and again in 32 and 33 and 37, verse 45 in chapter 2, verse 2. This is a major theme that uh, mounts up in the narrative telling us again and again how Jesus' fame and renown spread throughout the region. Every time he healed, people heard about it. And of course, you might think, well, if Jesus wants to get the word out about who he was, well, isn't that a wonderful thing? And yet every time, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone. Well, Jesus, what are you doing? Telling people to be quiet about these wonderful things that you're doing. I mean, if it were me, I would have told them, you heal the paralytic, the leper, and you tell them, hey, go tell all your friends. You know, let's take out a full page ad in the post. Hey, you want to try making a TikTok video about this? Let's get the word out. But no, Jesus had a different idea because he knew that we were people who needed a deeper, different kind of healing that begins in our hearts. He understood that we and our neighbors can't get wowed into the kingdom of God. And following Jesus is more than being attracted to a religious fad. Here's how Phil Yancey, a wonderful journalist and author, uh, this is how he described why it was that Jesus told people to be quiet and didn't simply heal people to impress a crowd. Yancey writes, Jesus, with all the supernatural powers at his command, showed ambivalence toward miracles. They attracted crowds and applause, yes, but rarely encouraged repentance and long-term He was bringing a hard message of obedience and sacrifice, not a sideshow for gawkers and sensation seekers. Do you hear what Yancey was saying? Miracles were wonderful, 
They were of God, but they by themselves rarely encouraged repentance and long-term faith. They could heal one's body, but they couldn't by themselves heal one's souls. So then why then did Jesus do them? And this is why. Those healings were incredible acts of compassion. They absolutely were acts of love straight from the heart of God, relieving people's sufferings. But even more than that, his healings were a preview of a world made new. Lately, me and my kids, we've been looking for different movies that we can watch together, having already, throughout this pandemic, exhausted our options that we have at home looking for different kinds of shows and movies that we haven't yet seen. And of course, when we want to find out a little bit more of what this curious-looking movie with this curious title and icon might be all about, we will press and click on what's called a, what? A trailer or a preview. And what's that? It's just a short little picture or a short little clip of what that movie actually is going to be like when you watch it in the future. We get a real-time sample of what the future reality of this movie is going to be, and then we're going to make a decision on the basis of that, whether or not we actually need to invest this hard-earned money into watching this movie on YouTube, right? What was Jesus giving in these healings, he was giving a preview of his coming kingdom. He was giving a little snapshot, a trailer in the lives of these individuals of what he would one day do, future and fully, in all the lives of everyone who would follow him. What he would do when he would return and bring heaven down to earth. What he would do exhaustively and thoroughly and comprehensively around this world, what do we find in these lives, in these people, in the paralytic, in the leper, in the man who needed to be cleansed of the unclean spirit? We see previews, foretastes, because you see his earthly healings were, let's tell the truth, temporary. The demon-possessed man wasn't forever immune to spiritual struggle. Surely the leper, once again, got sick in some fashion. The paralytic eventually did die. The primary purpose of Jesus' healing ministry wasn't then and there to solve all the pains in our world, but it was to stoke up in our hearts a hope for a kingdom that would one day come. It would stoke up in our hearts a longing for the king himself who had the power and the compassion to heal all of our wounds, both body and soul. Here's how Phil Yancey once again talked about what Jesus' healings were all about as previews of a world made new. This is what he wrote. Every physical healing of Jesus pointed back to a time in Eden when physical bodies did not go blind, get crippled, or bleed nonstop for 12 years, and also pointed forward to a time of recreation to come. The miracles he did perform, breaking as they did the chains of sickness and death, give me a glimpse of what the world was meant to be 
and instill hope that one day God will right its wrongs. To put it mildly, Yancey concludes, God is no more satisfied with this earth than we are. Jesus' miracles offer a hint of what God intends to do about it. Do you see in these miracles not only the heart of God, his compassion, his kindness, do you also see hope of what the world one day will be, of what your lives, if you are in Christ, one day will be when he returns. And what you can even presently begin to experience what the book of Hebrews calls a taste of the age to come, healing even now in the present, spiritually, sometimes physically, communally, and socially. So that as healed people, we too can then hear the call of that same king of healing to become ourselves healers. A, 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 a people of God who are ourselves healers of the wounds of this world. Which of course we see a little glimpse of this beautiful little foretaste. Simon and Andrew's mom, after being healed, formerly debilitated, now healed by Jesus, she gets up and becomes a servant of the people in her home. We're healed so that we can use our gifts, our loves, and our energies across all the various vocations and callings in our lives, whether in our home or out of our home, in the streets of our cities or in our workplaces, with our neighbors, with strangers, even with enemies, being healers of the wounds of this world. We're called to be this, reflecting the very compassion of God, being ourselves little glimpses, previews, images of the great healer, Jesus himself. Do you see him? Do you see why he came? Do you see yourself, not only body and soul, but deeply in need of healing that we cannot do ourselves? And so, of course, this passage ultimately is an invitation to Jesus. Do you see him? Do you know him? Do you want his healing? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being a savior who heals, who doesn't skip over our wounds and needs, but who draws near, who touches us, who loves us in our brokenness, who saves and rescues us, and then who calls us to be healers ourselves. So please, Jesus, send your spirit and help us to encounter you in this way and help us to love you and magnify you as the great physician, our healer, in whose name we pray. 